So, you know, years ago, um, my, this is a long time ago. I can't even remember how long ago it was, but Mike and I were watching one of those um, newsy kind of shows where they interview people and stuff, and it's about news and stuff, but it's not really the news. I don't know what you call those. But anyway, we're watching one of them, and the particular thing that they were looking at was um, a man who was just about to be executed for committing just a, a horrible murder of a young girl. And so whoever this news thing was, they were interviewing him. This is like a day before his death. And then, you know, at the end of the show, they said, you know, he received the lethal injection, you know, the next day. And that was the end of that. But in addition to interviewing him, they also in interviewed the mother of the young woman that he had murdered. And so as we were watching this, uh, first of all, they, they interviewed this man. And um, while he had been in prison, he had come to know the Lord. And while he expressed remorse for the thing that he had did, he wasn't cocky at all. He didn't say, well, you know, God's forgiven me and <laughs> it doesn't matter. He said, I know what I did was wrong. And he said, you know, I am very sorry for all the pain that I have caused people. But then he went on to talk about what the Lord had done in his life, how God had forgiven him. And on the face of his man, who was scheduled to be executed within a day or two of the time of this interview, it was very, very soon to when it was supposed to happen, there was freedom all over his face. He expressed remorse, but there was no sense of guilt all over him. Because in his heart, he realized that Jesus had forgiven him, that his sins had been washed away, and even though he was in prison, even though he was going to be executed, he had been through all the processes, you know, there was no, he'd come to the end, this is it. There was complete peace. You could see joy on his face. Right. You know, one or two days before he's going to be executed. And so after they interviewed him, then they interviewed the mother of this woman that he had killed. Um, bitter. Bitter, bitter woman. She had traveled a great distance <laughs> to be able to sit there and see. They were going to allow her to be there when he was executed. I guess there's some law that makes provision for that. Um, she wanted to be there. She wanted to watch this man's life be taken from him. She wanted to see every part of it so that she could feel like justice had been served. She was so angry. She was so broken. She was so bitter. And just looking at these two people, it was amazing the work that Jesus does on the inside of a person. Here was the man who had committed the wrong, and nobody could argue he did it, and it was wrong, and there was no discussion about that, you know. Here was the man who had done this terrible deed. He was 
in prison, behind bars, destined for execution, but on the inside he was completely free, filled with joy, filled with peace, because he had experienced forgiveness from the Lord, even though he had not experienced forgiveness from anyone else. Here was the woman who had been wrong. She had done nothing wrong. She didn't commit a crime. She didn't do anything. And yet she was bound. She was sitting there. I don't, you know, if they had done an interview with her a year later, I would imagine that being there had not brought much satisfaction. She probably walked away and thought, I thought I'd feel better after I saw this through to the final end. I thought, you know, but she was completely bound. And we're going to talk about that today. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18. Okay, I don't believe in killing people. Y'all are looking at me like, what are you saying, Melody? Okay, we don't believe in killing people. We don't believe it's okay. But we are going to talk today about the power of forgiveness. And it is extremely powerful. We're going to look at um, Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. And the Bible doesn't tell us what happened before Peter asked this question. (laughs) But Peter came to Jesus and he asked this question. He said, okay, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? (laughs) You know, something had happened, okay? (laughs) I would imagine he might have been up to time number six because he said, seven? Seven times? Is that that the magic number of how many times I've got to forgive and then I'm done? How many of you ever kind of thought that in your mind? I was nice about it the first time. I was nice about it the second time. I forgave them the third time. Exactly when is done, Lord? You know, when am I done? with his process of forgiving people so we don't really know. I'll just forewarn you, I really like this little Bible, but it so happens that it's a King James Version. But I really like my Bible, and I thought about it. I thought, you know, all these people, they want me to be happy as I teach them. They would want me to use my King James Bible. And so she's going to put New King James up there, and I'm going to read from the King James, and y'all aren't going to have any difficulty Um, following along because they're really very close, but I knew y'all would want to be happy, so here we go. Then Jesus said unto him, I say not unto you until seven times, but seventy times seven. Did did y'all do the math on that? Um, How many of y'all think that you could calculate, could continue to keep track of that? You could keep track all the way up to 400 and then you'd lose track. <laughs> you know, yeah, you'd be, you'd be pretty hard. You know, I went to, I have time for this very short story. I went to, my parents were missionaries in Africa, so um, one year I was going to this local day school and there was a lot of kids and I was sitting next to this little Hindu boy named Jaspal. I probably will be 99 and I, <laughs> I will say I remember that boy's name, but I'm I'm giving an example of not what not to do. So, um, just Paul was very mean, and um, we had a very very strict no tattling rule at our school. It was very strict. You did not tattle. 
But every time, we didn't have textbooks, so the teacher would write everything on the board. And so we spent hours every day, her writing on the board, back turned to us while we wrote in our jotters everything she wrote on the board. And so um, every time she would turn around, Jasper would pull out his ruler and he would whack me. I didn't know what to do. And so um, I'm a pretty methodical person even back then. I thought, okay, there's a no tattling rule because I did it all the time. And, you know, I hadn't really read the scripture at that time. And uh, I thought, when he gets to 100 times, I believe that that will justify tattling. You know, there's no written law about it, but I think by 100 and so every time when he hit me, I had a clipboard and I would peel it up. I had a tally sheet. I would write a tally mark. (laughs) And so after a few weeks, I finally made my 100th mark. After class, I went up to the teacher and I said, Jaspal has been hitting me with his ruler when you're not looking. And look, here's my evidence 100 times. And the teacher looked at me and said, Melody, there is no tattling in our school. And so I'm not advocating that you should do this, but the next time that Jaspal pulled his ruler out, I pulled mine out and I hit him so many times so hard while she wasn't looking, he never touched me again. And there is no moral to that part of the story. But the first part is that perhaps not with tally marks um, and perhaps not with a paper. Maybe you don't even have an Excel sheet for this. But sometimes we are tallying in our hearts. Maybe we say, oh, I forgave them. But then the next time they do it, what, what's the first thing that we remember? <laughs> You did this before! (laughs) So apparently, we actually didn't forgive them because we're going to bring it up again. We did just pop into our mind. It's like, you always do this to me! And and, uh, my husband cautions me regularly not to use words like that. Like, always, never. You know, all those that come up in marriage, and you should never say those things. So, back to the Bible. Here we go. 22. Jesus said unto him, I say not, okay, we already did that one. 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. Now, if you look in the Amplified Bible, actually, I don't know how they come up with these figures because I don't know anything about money back then, but in the Amplified Bible, it said that it would be like the equivalent of 10 million dollars. That's pretty significant. You know, if I today had a debt of $10 million, I would feel sad. (laughs) I would feel discouraged. It would take all of my faith to believe God that I could get out from under that. So that's kind of the amount that we're, or that vicinity that, that we're looking at. But for as much as he had not to pay, that means he didn't have money to pay. His Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So this is pretty stiff. You know, the penalty at that point in that culture was, okay, you can't pay the debt. All of you get sold. You know, most men could say, okay, I can handle that. But you're going to sell my wife as a slave? My children are going to get sold as slaves? And so... 
The servant therefore fell down and he worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and he loosed him and he forgave him the debt. He asked for time, but he didn't give him time. He forgave him of that debt. Ten million dollars. Do y'all think that's pretty significant? You think you'd be pretty happy? Pretty cheerful? That's huge, you know. You know that it had been weighing on his mind for long before the master ever pulled him in and said, okay, we're going to go over, you know, our charts here. You know it was weighing on his mind. Ten million dollars? So the same servant went out. So he left this place. He's just been forgiven this huge debt. He leaves this place, and he found one of his fellow servants which owed him a 100 pence. And again, in the Amplified, it said that would be like 20 bucks. $10 million, 20 bucks. <laughs> okay? And he laid hands on him, and he took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet, and he besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Did y'all hear that before? Were those the very words he used for his debt? But he would not. He said, No, no, no. I'm not even going to give you time. Not even going to give you a day. And he cast him into prison until he could pay the debt. I'm not sure where he was going to get money in prison, but that's the way he did it. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry, and they came and they told unto the Lord all that was done. And then his Lord, after that, he had called him, he said unto them, Thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because you desirest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Now, this story that Jesus told, it came right on the heels of Peter's question. Lord, how many times am I going to have to forgive? All the way up to seven times. And this story was given to him illustrating how God sees things. When we look at our own lives, you might think that you were really super good. <laughs> I wasn't super good, but I've been a lot better since I've been a grown-up than when I was a kid. <laughs> I used to pray, dear Lord, if you love me, don't give me a child like I was. <laughs> he must love me because I didn't have any children like that. I was terrible as a kid. But, you know, I straightened up. The Word started working in my life, and I got better. But, um, you know, I caused my, my poor mom a lot of grief in my growing up years. Some of y'all might be really, really, really good all your life. Maybe you were born good. My sister was like that when we were growing up. She just, just disgusted me. She'd wake up in the morning with this, like, what can I do to make mom and dad happy? I just think, what is wrong with you? You know. But um, it doesn't matter how good that you are. What Jesus was illustrating here is that what was levied against your life was like this $10 million debt. And 
and what anyone else does to you in this lifetime is like 20 bucks. And so if God loved us, I don't know if some of you guys in this room have been through some tough things. My husband, until he really gave his life, not pieces and chunks. <laughs> have you ever given a piece of your life to the Lord like the piece that doesn't want to go to hell? <laughs> I'm going to give this to you, Lord, because I really don't want to go to hell. But <laughs> but when he really gave his life to the Lord, not just little bits, I mean God just turned his life around, just made it something completely and utterly different. But I used to say when we first married, I said, Honey, if I had been through what you've been through in your life, I'd be sitting in a corner twitching. <laughs> That's just, I mean, how does a person handle all of that? <laughs> Just some tough, tough stuff. People sitting here today have been through some tough stuff. And that's why you have to trust God when he gives you this little glimpse of divine perspective that says whatever that has been done wrong to you is like 20 bucks. And what I forgave you of is like 10 million. And because of that, you just keep on and on and on and on forgiving. Unforgiveness is a weight on you. It is a burden that you carry, just like that woman that I talked about whose daughter had been so brutally murdered. It is a burden that clouds every day of your life, the unforgiveness. It clouds your joy. It clouds your peace. You might be alive and you might be having conversations all day long in your head about, ooh, what I would say to that person. Ooh, what I could do to that person. But you won't be living the life that God intended for you to live because that is only lived when we're walking in forgiveness towards those around us. There's a story in the Old Testament that, again, I just thought, oh, you know, if you just think about the facts of it, you think, how could somebody survive that? A young man, Joseph, who was apparently destined for greatness but possibly had a streak of brattiness in his younger years, kind of bragging about this and that to, uh, to his older ten brothers. <laughs> and so one day, apparently it was... I don't know, it really got into their skin. Because one day, their father sent him out and said, I want you to go check on your brothers. And they're out with the sheep. I want you to go check on them. And so he went out to check on them, and when they saw him coming, they said, ha, finally, Dad's nowhere around. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that, but that's the only reason they would have done this. That's what they were thinking. They said, let's kill him. Let's just kill him and be done with this. These were his brothers. Okay. And one of the older brothers, smarter brothers, was thinking, that's probably not a good idea. You know, this is somehow, some way going to come back to bite us. But he said, no, let's, let's don't kill him, because he thought in his mind, I'll come back and I'll rescue him later. Let's just stick him in this pit. Yeah, let's do that. Stick him in the pit. Oh, he's going to be so scared. It's going to be so great. Oh, we're going to get back at him. Just put him in the pit. It'll be, it'll be wonderful. And so they put him in the pit. He went off to do something else. Well, while he was gone, some slave traders 
just happened to come by. And one of the brothers said, you know what? He is our brother, you know. So we really shouldn't kill him. <laughs> Isn't that nice of them? But instead of killing him, let's just sell him to these slave traders, okay? And everybody who was there said, yeah, that's a great idea, great idea. Joseph was 17. Can you imagine being pulled out of this pit as a 17-year-old young man to see your brothers exchanging money for your life, laughing, jeering, as the slave traders take you away from everything that you've ever known. Do you think that might be cause for a little bitterness? I would struggle. <laughs> I would definitely struggle with that. That would be a challenge for me to say, okay, Lord, I want to forgive everything. So um, they just, then they started thinking about their plan, what are we going to tell our dad? So they killed one of the sheep, put blood all over his little coat that he had and took it back to dad and said, hey, we found this. Do you think it could have been our brothers? And of course, the father said, oh, it was his. He's been torn apart by an animal. He's dead. He grieved for them. So we're going to fast forward about 13 years later. We're going to actually read from the Bible again. We're going to go to Genesis 45. But um, in the meantime, even though Joseph had a lot of challenges, he eventually rose to a position of great power in Egypt. He was the second in command in that nation. And they were going through a famine. He was in charge of all the famine relief, which extended beyond the borders of Egypt. So people were coming from everywhere for food. And guess who showed up for food? His brothers. <laughs> and so he put him through a few little tests, I would assume, to test his heart because of what he said later. But one of the things that one of his brothers said when they entered some hardship through this testing time, one of them said they didn't realize that he could understand them because they didn't know who he was, they said, this thing is because, what's happening to us now is because of what we did to our brother Joseph. It's because of that. Do you remember? Do you imagine how many times through the years they had thought that? Every bad thing that happened to them, it's because of what we did to Joseph. That's why this bad thing is happening to me. Because of what we did to Joseph. Because of what we did to Joseph. But Joseph put them through these little times of testing. But when he finally decided, and if y'all, you know, y'all seen the old pictures of Egyptians in the old days with their bangs and their, well, their pictures, I'm assuming they look like that, and their long hair. So you can see how it would be easy for them to not recognize him some 13 years later. But if we look in um, Genesis 45 and we start in verse 2, he sent everybody out of the room. He was going to reveal himself to his brothers, tell them who he was. I want you to listen to these words. It says, He wept aloud in the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. They were speechless, for they were troubled at his presence. Would you be troubled in his presence? If you had 13 years before, thrown this very powerful man in a pit and sold him to slave traders, would your soul be troubled? My soul would be disturbed. <laughs> 
But Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. And he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now listen to these words. These are words of such forgiveness. Now therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. Can you imagine? He is saying, don't feel bad. What would you be tempted to say? (laughs) Do you know what I can do to you? (laughs) But he didn't. He didn't use his power. He didn't use his position. He didn't use anything that God had blessed him with. He just said, don't feel badly for what you've done. For these two years, verse 6, Oh, back to verse 5. Don't be grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me, for God sent me before you to preserve life. He said, God has used me to save all of our lives. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be uh, earning nor harvest, because God had told him this thing. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, the lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Do you think that's what they were expecting to hear? Hmm, not at all. You know, I forgot to write one of these scriptures down, but we're going to find it because I think it's in the last, um, yeah, the very last chapter of Genesis, it would be verse 15, so it makes it chapter 50, verse 15. After their father's death, the brothers started thinking, ooh, now dad's gone. They started getting scared again, started getting fearful. You know, he is powerful. We did do what we did. And so they sent a messenger to, um, to Joseph, and they said, um, you know, dad said before he died <laughs> You know, to please overlook everything that we did. (laughs) And you know, uh, Joseph's response is still, once again, amazing to me. Uh, It says in verse 17, it says, And Joseph wept. He felt badly that they still were so insecure with where they stood with him. He felt badly that they were still fearful that something could be done to him. It says his brethren also went, verse 18, and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we will be your servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? You know, sometimes we encounter a situation where somebody has done something to us for which they have not asked forgiveness. Have you ever been there? Someone's done something hurtful, and they never ever came back to you and said, I'm sorry. You know, if they had come back, maybe you were waiting. (laughs) When they come, I'm going to say, I forgive you. I'm going to do this noble thing, and they never came. (laughs) In fact, you could tell that they didn't think they did anything wrong. You know, we need to always remember that all we need to do is we need to forgive. 
even when no one is asking for forgiveness. And God is the one who will deal with her hearts. We don't have to deal with her hearts. We don't have to give them the cold shoulder. We don't have to do what Joseph could have done. He could have just sat there and talked about all he could do to them. We don't have to do anything of that. All we have to do is what the Lord Jesus said, is to forgive. Just take a deep breath and say, I'm letting this go. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be filled with joy. I'm not going to let this thing be a burden to me. Went and lost my place again. It's a good thing it's only a few chapters over there. But he said to them, again, don't be afraid. I'm in the place I'm not in the place of God, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save many people alive. Now therefore fear you not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them just telling them time and again, don't feel bad. Don't feel badly. Don't feel badly. Don't feel badly. You know, true forgiveness says, don't feel badly. I don't want you to be burdened by this. Yes, you may have done wrong, but I don't want you to carry the weight of that. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? You know, like I said, some of you who were just super nice all your life, you may never have felt the weight of your own failures like some others might have who have made more serious mistakes in their lives and you felt the weight of what you had done. But the forgiveness of Jesus, when it comes in and it just removes that. We are talking with someone last week who had, in his younger years had been... Um, seriously at odds with the law and was doing all sorts of illegal things. And he was talking about when he cried out to God, that's what impacted him, is that when he cried out to God and God met him, he said it was just gone. My son Joel, now this would be a good example for all of us. The Lord must have just brought this to me. But um, I really wanted all of my children to be born again when they were kind of young, but I didn't want to push them. Because, you know, sometimes we can push our kids and say, don't you want to Don't you want to ask Jesus in your heart? Well, that's kind of an unfair question, you know, especially to a kid who's been raised in church. I mean, <laughs> okay, but their heart might not be really reaching out to the Lord, and yet then you all look back to this time, you know, you were saved here. And, and so I, I always wanted my children to have their own opportunity with the Lord. And so, of course, Danielle was born again when she was very young. Jared was very young. And Joel was holding out on me, <laughs> causing me some distress. I mean, he was all the way to five. And in our family, we could born again before we're five, you know. So um, he was holding out on me. And, but I just thought, I'm not, I'm not going to push this thing. I'm, I'm just going to trust the Lord. And so one day, and he still remembers this, that we were in the drive-thru at McDonald's. And all of a sudden, Joel's way in the back and, and of our minivan, and he says, Hey, Mom, if somebody, if, if I wanted to tell somebody else how to ask Jesus into their heart, what would I do? 
And I said, well, you know, in this highly theoretical situation, if you were wanting to tell somebody else how to ask Jesus into your heart, this is what you would say. And so I told him everything he would say. And so way in the back of the minivan, I hear, And then he says, Mom, I did it. And I said, that's wonderful. His next words amaze me. They're not doctrinally accurate, but he was trying to describe this actual feeling he felt. And he said, Mom, Jesus isn't reminding me of my sins anymore. He felt forgiveness. He felt. We don't all feel. So if you're like, bummer, I didn't feel. That's okay, I didn't feel nothing either. <laughs> I knelt down, I said what they told me to, and I was born again. You don't have to feel anything. But I'm just saying that in his little heart, he felt the work of the Holy Spirit. He felt that burden that apparently had been on him, drawing him to ask his mother, Mom, what should I do about this friend, you know? He felt it. Leave. You know, even people who are born again, in our hearts, if we're recognizing the 10 million, 20 buck principle, our goal should be when someone has wronged us that we want them to feel, not just hear the words, I forgive you. Fine, I forgive you. That's okay, but I don't want to talk it. No? We want them to feel forgiveness coming from us. Not that we're saying, okay, I forgive you, but just keep your distance. <laughs> and I, I, we're not talking about trust here. Sometimes there are things that happen and trust has to be regained. Trust and forgiveness are two completely different things. But our heart of hearts should be like Joseph to be saying, don't feel bad. Yeah, what you did was wrong. I know you meant it for evil. But I don't want you to feel badly about it. And I'm going to be your friend. And I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to hold anything against you. I'm going to be there for you. That is the forgiveness that God gives to us. Therefore, in that story Jesus told, that is a forgiveness we should extend to others. Freely you have received. And Jesus said, now freely give. You know, if we ever figure out that we don't have to stick up for ourselves, do you know you don't have to stick out for yourself? Do you know you don't have to look out for yourself? That God is going to look out for you? That God is going to see after you? that regardless of what anybody has done to you, that God, if you will just follow his plan, follow his pattern, walk in forgiveness, that he is going to see to it that you're okay. You may have walked through some really, really tough things, but if you'll walk in his word, if you'll just forgive and just let that thing go, just say, you know what, Lord, I... I'm going to set them free, and I'm going to be free.